In Matthew chapter 1, the angel said, Joseph and Mary, I want to tell you something. You're going to have a baby. Okay. His name is Jesus, okay, because he's going to save his people from his sin. And all of a sudden, for the first time on earth, people began to see who Jesus really was. By the way, Kathy Byron, it's great to see you here this morning. I've been running around. Kathy is a friend to Eastlake and a friend to Christian traditional values. And she's our delegate, and I just want to say thank you and welcome this morning. I'll get back to my sermon in a minute, but I want to pass you up. Uh, he began to, for the first time, reveal to people on earth who he was. In, John, in Luke chapter 2 last week, Jesus, as a 12-year-old boy, the only picture we get of anything about Jesus from, from his infancy to his ministry was when he was 12. Just a, a couple days, we see Jesus. And at that moment, he begins to reveal to the, t- to the priest and to the people in the temple and to his parents just who he really is. They said, it said he spoke and they were amazed at what he said. And what he was saying, he said to his parents, they said, where have you been? He said, I must be about my father's business, right? I'm not of this world, he was saying. I've come here to do something else. This morning, we read in John's Gospel, chapter 2, the very first time that Jesus performs a miracle, and he does it, and in doing so, he reveals to even more people who he is. And it is my prayer throughout this entire series that we're doing that week after week, day after day, that God the Holy Spirit will take off the blinders of anyone that is in this service or anyone that's in the chapel or watching online, that God will begin to remove the blinders and you too will see for yourself just who who Jesus really is. That is my prayer. That is Because as I said a moment ago when we were talking, we can only do the possible, but God must do the impossible. I want you to look with me at John's Gospel, chapter 2. We're going to begin reading in verse number 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? Really, that sounds a little disrespectful. It's really not. It's the word many times used in Scripture that is very respectful. And he, his real, the real literal translation is, what does that matter to you and me? I like what she did. She didn't even respond to Jesus. She turned around to the servants and said, do whatever he tells you. And there were six stone water jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it, and when the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, And said to him, everyone at these parties always serves the good wine first. And when people have drunk freely and can't tell the difference, then they serve the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. This, the the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. He helped them to see and his disciples believed on him. Lord Jesus, I ask for your wisdom and your grace as we talk about your word this morning and try to 
rightly divide it to our precious congregation here. Would you take this word and make it food for our souls this morning? And would you edify everyone here with it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to notice, this is Jesus' first impression. This is Jesus' first impression. It's the first thing he does out the gate. I want you to notice the occasion of his first miracle for just a moment. We're just going to, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to kind of give you the context. I'm going to take a weird right turn, and I'm going to make four or five important points at the end, okay? Does that sound like a good plan? How many of you, how many of you wonder what the weird right turn is? You will know soon. The occasion of Jesus' first miracle was a wedding. The scripture says on the third day. Now, third day. What does that mean? It could mean that it was a third day of a seven-day feast because the weddings in Jesus' day were very long and elaborate scenarios, and this could be the third day. I personally believe it probably is referring to the third day in a row. In chapter 1 and verse uh, 35, it says the next day. In chapter 1 and verse 43, it says the next day. In chapter 2, verse 1, it says, and on the third day. I think these were days right back to back to back. Now, there's a scholar smarter than I am that probably could argue that, but that's okay. Whether it was, whether it was the third day of a seven-day feast or it was three days in a row is really immaterial, but it was a wedding. He who created marriage decides to bless this couple and their marriage event with his inaugural miracle. The first place, the first event that Jesus shows up is a wedding. He wants to show his importance of marriage. Amen? The Bible says, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. Only one of you did it, Jeff. You are going home to a good lunch. Dude, guys, I teed that one up and gave you a big club, and you swung and missed right there. That would have been great to say, amen, and put your arm around her. We don't know whose wedding it was. Some people believe it could be John the Evangelist. It's likely that it was a relative of Jesus. It appears that Mary was there because she was Mary and Jesus was invited and his friends tagged along. It tells us likely that Joseph, Mary's husband, was dead by now. It doesn't tell us that, but we believe he probably was. It was in Cana of Galilee. There were two Canas in in Israel at that time. Cana of Galilee was an obscure place of very ordinary people. Jesus chose a wedding out of the way common ordinary people to perform his first miracle how many common ordinary people are glad that jesus goes out of the way to visit us this morning that's all of us isn't it what a great idea somebody i don't know we're in the middle of a little wedding preparation in our house and i've seen a lot of invitations being written out even this week at the dining room table late at night and uh i don't know who wrote that card that said you know we ought to invite that jesus from nazareth good idea. By the way, if you're married this morning, it'd be really good advice for you just to keep inviting Jesus right into the center of your marriage every week, every day. If you're not married, you need to ask the Lord Jesus to guide you and help you because it is a really good idea to have Jesus right in the center of your wedding and of your marriage. I don't know who wrote that invitation, but that was a great, great, great idea. But notice the circumstance For Jesus' first miracle. He turned the water into wine. The scripture says when wine ran out. 
During the wonderful feast and celebration for this new couple, something terribly embarrassing happens. All the guests are present. Everybody's having a good time. Somebody walks to get something to drink. And they ask one of the relatives, do you know, is there anything else to drink here? There's no more wine. And somebody runs back into the kitchen. And the mother-in-law or the mother's in the kitchen. And the sisters are in the kitchen. Hey, did you Oh, no, I don't know. Is it, is that, did you use that last gallon? It was, in the, it was in the fridge. Oh, my goodness. Where'd it go? Oh, oh, ah! <laughs> Mary's in the kitchen, maybe. Mary's thinking, what do we do? What do we do? She runs to Jesus. They have no wine. And Jesus says, and? I'm just here to watch this dude kiss his bride. She doesn't even respond to Jesus. She turns to the servant and says, do whatever he tells you to do. Somehow this lady knew from before he was born that he had the power to redeem a broken situation. Amen. But what is intriguing to me, the most intriguing thing about Jesus' first miracle is that he turned water into wine. Here comes the sharp right turn. How many of you love Pastor Troy? Say amen. amen. How many of you are not sure you're going to love me in a few minutes? Say amen. <laughs> you laughed at it. It got, got you by. His first miracle, his inaugural miracle, Jesus is going to turn water into wine. Man, have I heard this scripture my whole ministry. For more drunk people than you could ever imagine. Don't you judge me. Jesus turned water into wine. I am no joking, I've heard that a thousand times. So Jesus, of all the things you're going to do first, could you not raise somebody from the dead? Could you not give blind guy his sight? Could you not make a crippled man walk? Could you not do something spiritual? Jesus, of all the things you're going to do first, he goes to a wedding and it looks like a menial miracle. It's not life and death. I mean, somebody's embarrassed. Few people are going to be thirsty. It's, the party's not going to be quite as good. But of all the things, but he turns water into wine. You know, the church has done serious. The church has a the church has an interesting relationship with alcohol. Amen. How many people are nervous right now? You didn't raise your hand, but I can tell lots of you are. Well, I can tell you, I'm not. <laughs> We have done calisthenics over this miracle. We've used this story to both try and explain that, that the, the, the wine in the Bible, you understand, is the Greek word washas, which in English means welches. No, I'm just kidding. I made that up. <laughs> and people, people with such a passion to not allow... Any alcohol, anywhere, they say, this, was, this could not get you drunk. This was only grape juice. Well, I hate to tell you, it wouldn't say don't be drunk with wine if it couldn't get you drunk. Somebody told me after the first service, said, you scared me this morning. Just, just be, don't anybody leave, all right? So we try to, exp- oh, no, this is just grape juice. Others have taken this story and they've trumpeted this as God's approval for their consumption of alcohol. Well, praise God, Jesus turned the water into wine, so hallelujah. I can do whatever I I choose. 
Both of these miss the point of this miracle and they try to insert meaning into this passage that is not there. It wasn't intoxicating alcohol. It was. There's no honest evidence that Welch's grape juice was in any way involved in this. The master of the feast actually said, why did you save the best wine to last? Normally you serve it, normally you serve it first and when people don't know the difference, you give them the bad stuff and they just keep on going. There's no evidence that it wasn't intoxicating. Secondly, let us not impute broad-based blessing upon our alcoholic practices based upon this miracle. I need a moment with you this morning. Can I have a moment? How many of you just give me a moment? Come on now. That's two of you. I'm taking it whether you give it to me or not. So, I want to say something this morning. I want, I want you to know so I love everybody in this room. God has, by His grace given me a shepherd's heart. And, and I mean that. I care deeply for you. I care for everybody in the chapel. Every single one of you in the chapel, I care deeply for you. And if you're watching online, I don't know who you are, but if I know who you are, I'm sure I care for you too. I really do. I really, you know what I want? I want God's blessing in your life. I want God's glory in your life. I want God's blessing in your family. I want things to get better and progress and be blessed. That's what I want. And I think your shepherd this morning needs to give a warning of a word of caution to the sheep about alcohol. The many references in scripture about alcohol, many references. Some are neutral, some are positive, most are negative. Some are neutral, some are positive. This passage we read this morning is one of only two or three in the New Testament that's positive. There's another one that says, take a little wine for the stomach's sake. You remember that. But here's, here, here's, here's, what, here's my word of caution. Let, let us as Christians do everything we can to win our families, save our families, influence our neighbors, bless our communities, protect our marriages, protect our children, protect our grandchildren. And I want to tell you something. We need a word of caution in this area of alcohol. Well, I, God's grace is grace, and it, everything's, everything's free and liberal, and everything's good. I'm, I'm here to let you work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, but I am your shepherd. And I want to give you a word of caution. The overwhelming perspective of Scripture about alcohol is negative. In Genesis chapter 9, we see the first episode of drunkenness. And guess what happened? They committed immorality in their drunken state. In Proverbs 23, it says this about it. At the last, it bites like a serpent. It stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things. Your mind will utter perverse things. And you will be like one who lies down in the middle of the sea. Or like the one who lies down on top of a mast. In Lot's drunken stupor, he committed incest with his daughter. Proverbs 21 says, He who loves pleasure will become poor, and he who loves wine will not become rich. If every time I spoke to you about coffee, I said, Oh, coffee is terrible. I hate coffee. Coffee is awful. Oh, coffee ma- doesn't. I love coffee. Coffee makes me sick. I can't stand coffee. Every time I talk to you, you say, oh, Pastor Troy, no, I don't want. And then twice you heard me say, what's that smell? That smells so good. Hmm, I love the smell of coffee. And you were at Kroger's and somebody said, does your pastor like coffee? I was thinking about getting him a gift card to Starbucks. What would you say? 
you would say, eight out of ten times, he's told me how terrible coffee is. Don't get him a gift card to Starbucks, right? Because although there are statements about coffee from me that are positive, the overwhelming information from me is that you get the picture. The Bible tells us about alcohol, that alcohol makes us stupid. Alcohol, Alcohol makes us insecure. Alcohol causes people to commit adultery. Alcohol people, causes people to say things with their mouth that they never intended to say. The Bible, I could give you a list of 75 that I just printed off this week. 75 stark, dark warnings. So as the church of Jesus Christ, as a man of God, as a woman of God, as a husband, as a father, I want to make sure that I'm living my life to glorify God. And I don't want to do anything that's going to disrupt the kingdom of God and the, the family that God has given me and pass on it. I've, I've stood by the bedside of dozens, hundreds of dying people. Never once has anyone said to me, I sure wish I'd have went out one more night and drank. Never once. But I could tell you the number of times that people have wept on their deathbed and said, oh, I regret, I regret, I regret. And a lot of times it's centered around alcohol. Just be careful. Let me, let me give you some absolutes from the Bible about alcohol. Let me just say this first. Admittedly, my view of alcohol is tainted just as a dentist's view of sugar is tainted. We had a dentist in the first service, and I said to her, do you like it when kids drink Mountain Dew before they go to bed? She's like, no. Because the only effects of Mountain Dew and sugar that she sees are the decay and the destruction that it causes in a person's mouth. And the only effects I see are the decay and destruction it causes in people's life. I've ran into a house at two in the morning. I've run through the front door, the police ran in the back door at the same time, and we wrestled a drunk, naked, grown man off of his 12 or 13-year-old son who he was beating to a pulp. I don't like it. I've sat across that hall right over there in that office dozens of times and watched men and women weep and cry because in the midst of something that had to do with alcohol, they deeply wounded somebody they loved. I don't like it. All I see is the the decay and the destruction. And admittedly, I'm tainted. I, I acknowledge that. Let me give you some absolutes from the Bible. The Bible is clear about many things in regard to alcohol. Number one, don't be deceived by it. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. Whoever is deceived by it is a fool. People say, well, I I get this a a lot. I've got it totally under control. And, and, And I'm not here to be prudish. I'm not here to be legalistic. I'm not here to pass judgment on you. I'm here to be your shepherd. And I'm here, it's in the Bible. We're talking about turning the water into wine. We'd be fools not to talk about the white elephant, right? So let's just talk about it. But people say, oh, you know, I've got it under control. Absolutely. Me and it, it's just, just a little bitty minor thing in my life. And that's okay. It might be. Fine. It's not between me and you. It's between you and the Lord. But maybe you ought to ask your wife if you have it under control. Maybe you ought to ask your children. Maybe you ought to ask people close to you. And one thing I say to people who are, who are very defensive about alcohol is I say what Proverbs 20, chapter, ch- chapter 20, verse 1 says, don't be deceived by it or you'll be a fool. Don't be deceived by it. Don't be drunken with it. The scripture says in Romans 13, let us walk properly, not in drunkenness. The Bible tells us that drunkenness is a fool. Ephesians 5 says, do not be drunk with wine. Do not be drunk with wine. 
Don't be destroyed because of it. The Bible says that the drunkard will not inherit the kingdom of God. Don't be destroyed by it. And I've already mentioned it, but I could, I could tell you story after story after story after story, and you know them too, and you have your own stories where families have been destroyed, lives have been destroyed because somebody thought they had a handle on it. And don't, don't let the Holy Spirit be displaced with it. What do you mean, Pastor Troy? The Holy Spirit and alcohol are competitors. You see, the Holy Spirit and alcohol are competitors. They do the same thing. They both want to take control of your behavior. And they both make you act in ways you wouldn't normally act. Serious, right? And that's why Paul said in Ephesians chapter 5, Do not be drunk with wine. Don't be under the controlling influence of alcohol, but be under the controlling influence of of the Holy Spirit, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. You see, the alcohol and the Holy Spirit are competitors. And one takes control and changes your behavior and makes you godly and holy and righteous and pure. Another takes control of your behavior and changes your behavior and makes you wicked and sinful and ungodly. Somebody says, well, listen, if If you just need a little bit to keep you calm, cool, and collected, it's not a sign that you are lacking in alcohol. It's a sign you're lacking in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in alcohol. Don't let it displace. I say these things this morning as your pastor because I love you and I want you to prosper. Yeah, Jesus turned the water into wine. Should we move on now? He instructs his servants to take the six water pots. These water pots were used for the Jewish ritual washing ceremony, which they washed the face, their feet, and their hands. And the more you washed before you ate, the more blessed you would be. And so everybody came to the feast, and they used these pots, and they all washed up. Now, that was interesting At one time, I used to think that he was refilling the pots that had wine in them. No, he was using the kitchen sink. And Jesus takes these six water pots, about 120 to 130 gallons, and he tells them to fill them completely to the brim. And as soon as they get them full, he says, take some out and give to the guy over there in charge. They take it out. He says, man, this is the best stuff. And then it says in verse 11, this was his first sign that he did in Cana of Galilee and he manifested his glory and his disciples believed on him. You see, Jesus was making his first impression. And and let me close with these simple thoughts. Jesus wants us to know. He wants you to know this morning this about him in his opening salvo of miracles, in his opening opening to his ministry. This is what he wants us to know. Number one, he wants us to know that to invite him into our life will cost us, but it will unleash his power. In the story, Jesus has just called his disciples. Just about everybody I read assumed that the disciples were actually not on the invitation list. As a matter of fact, the disciples might be the reason why there was a lack. Somebody came that didn't RSVP. Holy moly, and they're a bunch of fishermen. Can you imagine having a bunch of fishermen at your party and they didn't RSVP? But somebody invited Jesus. 
And even though it cost them, they learned a very powerful lesson, and that was as long as Jesus is here, Jesus does demand our all. But when he gets our all, he gives us his all. Amen? Someone could have been tempted to say, I wonder why those guys came. But little did they know in a few moments there would be more than enough wine to go around. Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, For whoever will save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And if you will invite Christ into your life, He is going to demand full control. And He might just eat you out of house and home. But I got good news for you. You are dealing with the one who has all power to meet every need in your life. Secondly, the key to blessing in our life is obedience to Christ. The key to provision in Christ is obedience to Christ. The greatest words spoken in this passage, perhaps, are those of his mother when she said, whatever he says to you, do it. You might be asking this morning, why, why is my water not turning into wine? Figuratively speaking. Why, why is my circumstance of bad and, 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 and misfortune, why is it not getting any better? Why is Jesus not turning miracles in my life? And I'm not saying I, I know the timing and the will of God for your life. But here's what I do know. If you're not obeying the Lord in your life, you're not going to get the blessing of the Lord. That's just the facts. She said, whatever he says to you, do it. Jesus said, do you see those six water pots? Yeah, Jesus, those the, that's where everybody wash their feet and their hands and their face. Well, I want you to go and I want you to fill them up with water. Oh, Jesus, people have had their feet in those. Do what I said. If they'd have gone off and got a five-gallon bucket that was real clean, said, Jesus, we decided we're going to use a five-gallon bucket, it would have never happened because when Jesus says fill the water pots, you have to fill the water pots. When Jesus says, I'm going to use something out of the way and out of the ordinary, we might think we have a better plan. We might think we know better than Jesus. But listen, the key to the blessing of God in our life is being obedient to Jesus in every area of our life. Thirdly, Jesus cares about every detail. There is no miracle too odd, no problem too small or insignificant for him. As crazy as it is, and you know my perspective on alcohol now, as crazy as it is that Jesus would choose this miracle as his first miracle, I really think it's awesome. Certainly it is awesome because he did it and he knows better than I do. But I really think it's awesome for this reason. He decided to bless a couple who was in the midst of a, as I said, in the big scheme of things, a somewhat insignificant problem. But he just said, I don't want them to be embarrassed at their daughter's funeral, at their wedding. I don't want them to be embarrassed. And he decides to turn water into wine to show all of us that there is no problem and no circumstance in your life that is too small for him to care about. I'm glad that Jesus cares about the least, least important things, what seem like least important things to other people in my life. He cares about the embarrassment of these precious people. He cares about the lack of drink. He cares about those who are in a tizzy over something that will pass away tomorrow. Jesus cares about every detail of our life. For Jesus has the power to do the impossible in your life. And this is, this is where we need the Holy Spirit to help us this morning to peel back the, the scales from our eyes and to help us with faith to understand this. Jesus takes, and I've already mentioned how he did that. He took those water pots. He manifested his glory. When he took those water pots, he made that which was weak, he made it strong. He took water. And made it into wine. 
He took weakness and made it strength. He took what was dirty and made it pure. He took the things that they were using to wash their hands and their face and their feet and he made it drinkable, gloriously drinkable. Jesus takes deficiency and turns it into abundance. They didn't have anything. They were short. They were completely out. And he fills up 120 and 130 gallons of wine. And, and, and they tell us that it was likely that everybody had all they wanted. And the rest of it was packaged up and sent home with the bride and groom to celebrate the next week or two of their first days of marriage. Jesus takes what is lacking in our life and he can turn it into abundance. I was talking to somebody just this week and they said, it is hopeless. My life is hopeless. They're not a believer. They're not a father. I said, it's not hopeless. They said, can you explain to me how it's not hopeless? I said, no, but I know someone who can. I know that God, through his power and his might, unleashed in your life, can take what is broken and weak and frail and dirty and pitiful and empty, and he can make it glorious and wonderful and bountiful in your life. He can do that this morning. He can do that this morning. He can do it in your family. And he takes, and Jesus works with ease. Jesus works with ease. I like the way he did it. He didn't say, fill him up with water. Give me a white sheet. Everybody look away. Abracadabra. La la. Jesus said, fill him up. And as soon as it got to the top, he said, take a drink. One spoken word of Jesus in your life can transform your life. Jesus can transform our life with one spoken word. Oh God, would you peel back the scales and help us to see you for who you really are. And finally, Jesus longs to reveal his glory to each of his followers. In verse 11, it says these were his first signs and he manifest his glory to his disciples and they believed on him. It appears they had followed him on faith. Certainly they had had the fishing experience the day before. But now they are up close and personal, able to witness the power of God for themselves. And their belief in Christ is cemented. Romans chapter 8 tells us this. You put your faith in Christ. And Romans chapter 8 says, you put your faith in Christ. And the Spirit of God will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. Jesus Christ wants... Say, I don't, I don't know... I don't know what to do. I don't know. I can't, I can't even hardly believe in him. And it seems like God is surrounding me right now with atheists. I'm having lots of conversations and Bible studies with atheists right now. Everywhere I turn. I pulled in here yesterday morning to, to, to meet someone. And there was a guy standing in the parking lot wanted to hand me a CD. And the first thing out of his mouth was something about being an atheist. I was, Holy moly. Here we go, Lee. You know what I'm saying? I stood right there for 15 minutes. And Friday I was meeting with atheists. And a guy that I've been meeting with admitted I'm an atheist. I got news for you just catch a glimpse of Jesus and that's I know I can't convince these people my prayer is that God the Holy Spirit will open their heart and open their eyes as they can see with with eyes of faith oh Jesus Jesus as Mary said at the tomb oh Thomas said my Lord and my God Mary said master if we could just catch a glimpse he wants to reveal his glory I I like this phrase right here those who follow Jesus We'll feast with Jesus. Amen. Where he goes, you go. What he blesses, you receive. What he does, you are part of. Too many people have committed to Jesus. I've got faith. 
but they do not go where he goes. They do not follow him close enough and they never see his manifest glory in their life. So you say, Pastor, what in the world kind of sermon was that? I have no idea. I just did it. So what do we want me to do, Pastor? I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here that's wrestling with alcohol. And you just need to say, Jesus, I need your help this morning. I need your help in my life. Or maybe your husband or your wife or your son or daughter or grandchild or maybe your parent. Maybe somebody you love is wrestling with alcohol. Is anybody, anybody with me this morning? You don't have to identify your family members, but, I mean, you, you understand. It's, it's out there, isn't it? I've got it in my family. You've got it in your family probably. Oh, God, would you help us? Maybe there's people here this morning that, that aren't really following Jesus and you just need you, you need to commit yourself fresh and anew to Jesus so that you can see his manifest glory in your life. I don't know where you are this morning, but I want us to close in prayer together. And would you just lift your heart up to Jesus as we pray? Oh, Lord, we pray this morning. You know who are here. You know who is in the chapel. You know who is watching online. And, oh, God, we want to see your power in our life. We want to see your power in our families, in our church, oh God. Lord, I pray that this morning, if there's someone wrestling in their family with alcoholism, that Lord, you would you would move into this family, oh God, and you would speak to this person. Lord, that you would draw them by your grace. We believe you're able to do more in a second by your power than we can do in a thousand years by trying to convince and coerce and manipulate. Lord, we believe one one fresh glimpse of your precious face can transform a person in one moment. And I'm praying for that today. I am praying for that today, Lord. If there are those who are wrapped in this and broken and families who are on the, on the rocks of, of destruction, oh God, would you break the bonds of sin in, this, in their life, oh God, and break the chains of alcoholism, I pray. Lord, I pray you would help us as a church not to be proud and prudish, but Lord, to be humble and obedient in this area so that we might glorify you and honor you in everything that we do. Lord, I pray for those this morning who perhaps aren't following you this morning. They came in here with a casual faith, but this morning they say, Lord, I want to know you. I want you to manifest your glory in my life. And I pray, oh God, as they lift up their heart of faith right now, that you would pour out yourself through your Holy Spirit in their life, oh God, and they would see you for who you really are. We need this more than we need any, anything else. Oh, we want to see you. We want to know you. We want to experience you. I pray this today. This morning, church, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if we just, if you're here this morning and you pray that prayer, you have a need. Let me just assure you of this. God heard your prayer. He loves you. He cares about you. He cares about your family. And he has the power to help and to release and to set free like no one else. Let's just commit this morning as a church family. We're going to pray for one another. We're not going to do anything that's going to cause one of us to stumble. We're going to lift each other up. We're going to love each other. We're going to care for those who are downtrodden and fallen and broken. And we're going to honor God with our life. You're this morning and you've prayed a prayer of faith. Let me just encourage you to keep walk out of here today in full obedience to the will of God for your life. Having Christ in your life and you walking and walking where Christ leads you is the greatest and most wonderful blessing you could ever have. Lord, we just thank you for this time. Thank you for this group. And we pray your blessings upon them as we leave this place in Jesus' name.
Amen. Would you stand together as we close with a song?